Well, good morning, LifePoint. How are we? So good to be with you today. And um, he throws me off. That He did that in the, la the last service introducing me. And yes, I did pastor a church at one point called Graceland. And a guy by the name of Elvis did start it. Um, long story short, uh, he went on to lead the largest church in the state of Indiana. Um, so yeah, Elvis did live at one time outside of Memphis, Tennessee. And um, that's another story for another day. Uh, well, I am uh, blessed to have the, a friendship with Dean, uh, your lead pastor. And, and can you just be honest with me? And aren't you grateful for your, your senior pastor, your lead pastor? Aren't you? He is, he is a, he's a humble, he's the, he's the real deal. And um, I say, Dean, you, you know, I, I appreciate you so much. In fact, my family and I have been staying with him over the weekend, I did the ceremony for my youngest sister at Lynn's Fruit Farm yesterday. And, you know, he's such a servant. He literally got up in the morning and served my entire family breakfast uh, yesterday morning. And so feel free to email him and say, you know, is your bed and breakfast open next Saturday? I don't know. But he's, he's such a great guy. And in fact, I have a picture of him here behind me. Um, there he is, larger than life, right? But... There's so many good things about him, but what I realized recently was he looks eerily like another guy by the name of Anderson Cooper, who is a reporter. <laughs> is it just a little weird to you like it is me? Like, same hair, same glasses, same build, same... Like, is his name really Dean, all right? Like, you start to question some things. Whatever his name is, um, in all reality, I'm thankful for him, but I'm also thankful for you having come from Newark, having come from Central Ohio, and growing up here, I am grateful for a life-giving church pointing people to God like you guys have done. And you're not only impacting this Columbus region, but you're impacting really the world. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart because you're impacting so many people that I grew up with that you didn't even know uh, about. And together we're in a series called Labels, uh, diving into Luke's gospel. If you want to find the gospel of Luke, specifically Luke chapter 12, where I'm going to be today. That's where we're going to find ourselves. Luke's gospel was written, inspired by God, through a physician named Luke. Some 2,000 years ago, he lived. And what's amazing is, is this man put together a granular picture of the life and times of Jesus Christ. It's been certifiably stamped as accurate by historians and scholars. And what's so great about Luke's uh, basically a snapshot of the life of Jesus is that Jesus spent time with so many, but particularly those who were on the kind of the outside, those who were kind of at the kind of the peripheral, those who were kind of, as, as we might say, too far from grace. And the, the, the thing about all of that that is so comforting to me is that as we look at the idea of labels, right, the gospel, Jesus, what he does is he gives us kind of a, an encouragement to live life above labels. That's the big idea of the series. And we live in a world today, some 2,000 years later, so applicable that is full of labels, right? I mean, we go to middle school, we're a middle schooler. Then we go to high school, we're a high schooler. You know, we're athletic or we're artistic or we're smart or we're this or we're that or we're this or that. And if we're not careful, we will label ourselves into all kinds of different limits. There's a particular label that I want to talk about today that is something that I wear at times in every single person, whether you're young or old, whether income you make, whether where you're from, 
that you, my friend, have maybe worn at one point in your life, and that is the label of a worrier. How many of you have struggled at your life worrying, anxiety, maybe in the last three years? If you're not raising your hand right now, you're a liar, all right? That makes all of us. I mean, how, how many of you have worried about one of these in the last, maybe let's just say the last several months, like your job? How, how about family or friends? How about the economy? I mean, the, the worst quarter for the Dow Jones since 1939. You're welcome, right? Like, we've worried about the economy. How many of you have worried about, you know, your health? You know, they did a survey, like the top five things you worry about, and they listed all those things, and they said the number one thing that people worry about is whether the Ohio State Buckeyes will figure out their defense this year, <laughs> right? No, no, that's not it, but that, we do worry about that. The number one thing is money. You know, and maybe you sit at night and you found yourself, you're, you're there at night and you're sitting there and all you can think about is like this one thing and it like replays over and over and over and over again. You worry, you're wearing that label. They did a, 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 a think tank session where they brought all these participants into this, this thing where they said, okay, what we want you to do is we want you to write down all the things that you worry about at night. We want you to make a list. We want to turn it in. So they did that specific thing, and they turned in their list of things they worried about. And then what they did is they went and checked up on those participants 20 days later. 20 days later comes, and they go to those individuals, and they say, Hey, um, did, you, did these things happen? And what they found was is that 91.4% of those things on the list that those people worried about never happened. And yet we do it. All the time. And if we're not careful, and this is really what I want to lean in today, if we're not careful in our life, we will open the door to worry in our life. And like a lion chasing a gazelle, worry will consume our life. And it will, in some ways, even destroy it. And so together, what I want to do is, I want to look at this in a more in-depth way. And what I want to even uh, focus on is there in Luke chapter 12, where we find Jesus and the first century followers and what we're going to see is, is that we're in kind of the middle of Luke's gospel. And there things have gotten harder. And so their times are even more uncertain than ours in this moment. And there's three reasons why. The first one is this, is that right there in that culture, the Jewish culture, it was not a, a real settled time. The, Roman, the Romans made their life extremely hard, first of all. They didn't know where their next meal would come from a lot of times. Um, the second thing was, is the enemies of Jesus were populating even quicker than anything that we could even imagine, all right? And number three, there were more unknowns than there were knowns. And I don't know about you, but when I face unknowns in my life, that is when the, like, all of the worrying and all the anxiety can come, like, like flooding into my life. And so there he's speaking to them, and he's just told the story of the rich young ruler, and he says to them about worry. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body. What will you put on? For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. So he says, stop it. <laughs> Don't worry. And some of you in this room, you, you're like, you worry so much, like that's your spiritual gift. And somebody telling you, hey, just stop worrying, that's like telling someone, hey, we drink this Red Bull and then sleep, and you're like, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. It's impossible. But I want you to notice one thing here. Jesus, he's not talking about, hey, I don't want you to show concern. No, Jesus was very 
actually concerned about showing concern. The difference is concern looks at the probable and creates an action plan. Worry, on the other hand, it looks at the improbable and creates no plan. Jesus, he, he wasn't against concern. Actually, he said no man builds a tower without first sitting down and calculating the cost. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, get rid of smoke detectors in your house. He's not saying, hey, don't have life insurance or anything like that. For instance, if you're concerned this morning about your finances, well, maybe you need to sit down with somebody that's maybe upstream from you financially and put a plan together and then execute it. Or maybe you're concerned about a relationship or your marriage today. LifePoint has an amazing marriage ministry. Maybe it's time for you to like plug into that, that marriage ministry. That's concern. That's a good thing. Jesus, though, he's talking about worry. And worry is altogether different than concern. The word that he uses for worry here, it, it, it comes from the word to literally like to divide, to basically like completely like that chokes itself out, whatever the, the, the thing that's worrying is. Jesus actually told a story in Matthew chapter 13 about the parable of the sower. And many of you are familiar with this passage. And it's basically about this guy that's going to plant out seeds. And he throws these seeds out. And it's, this is the kingdom of God. And the, and the gospel is thrown out. And it germinates in people's lives. And it represents someone's life growing up. And then there's certain people that literally the worries of the, of, of, of the world literally choke that person to death. Which is interesting because the Anglo-Saxon uh, uh, funda- uh, foundation of the word worry actually is where we get our word literally to choke. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to do that. Have concern, but don't choke. And some of you in this room, that's literally what has happened over time in your life. It's like you're just losing more and more and more and more air. Now, others of you, that's not specifically you. You're like my wife. She's just like, eh, everything will work out. We don't need a plan. And I'm a plan guy. Like, I know, what is the plan? And she's like, we don't need a plan. We'll just kind of skate through life, right? And that's you. But even you, those of you who are blessed with that type of a disposition, even with that wiring, still worries. So why do we worry? Like, what is at the fundamental level? I want to give you four quick things about reasons why we worry. Number one, and and just kind of lean in here, and, and let me explain. We worry because of our resources. We do. I heard it explained one time, the bigger, you know, the, the more, or the bigger the dog, the more the fleas. That's exactly the same with our finances as well. In fact, the wealthiest man to ever walk the planet, uh, Solomon, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 12, he said it like this, The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. It's true. It's so true. There was a, a wise man who once said it like this, being kidnapped and held for ransom never worried a poor man. It's true. We worry because of our resources. And the more you get, the more you worry. The second reason I think why we worry is our 24-7 social media news machine. And I would just, it would be in my opinion that the world has always been jacked up. Always. Because sin entered the world in brokenness to destroy the peace that God had created originally from the very outset. It's always been bad, but now we can see images and hear about it 24-7. And each one of those channels or apps are businesses, and they are trying for you to get addicted to that, and we just worry. We just feed on that stuff, and it, and it feeds our worry. The third one, and this is going to sound a little bit maybe counter 
contrary, but we worry because of our relationships, our family. And here's what I mean by that. How many of you are parents in the room here today? Okay. Um, if you have a middle schooler, all right, um, my, my, my daughter is getting ready to go into middle school. If you will just explain to me some of the different things I'm starting to see in my daughter in terms of moods, will you just meet me down here after those of you that, all right, I appreciate that. But parents, how many of you worry about your kids? Yeah. Grand, grandparents, how many of you worry about your grandkids? That's right. Do, have any of you, just be honest, worried about my two girls? No, no. And that's fine. You shouldn't. You didn't even know I had two girls. Do I worry about your kids? No, not at all. But do you worry about your kids? Yes, you do. Why? Because that's just what we do. We worry because of our, of our family. In fact, there's a comedian. Her name is Irma Bombach. I just love her humor. And she wrote this about worry. And, you know, it's Mother's Day is coming up, so I thought it might be appropriate. She writes this. One of the dumbest pieces of advice ever given to me by my kids is don't worry. Are you crazy, she writes. That's my job. I've elevated worrying to an art form. This means I can take something as insignificant as mom. I'm staying home on New Year's Eve, so don't worry about me. And I'll lie awake all night wondering why my son has no social life. <laughs> if one of them drives an old car, I worry that some night on a dark road, the car will die and someone will <clears throat> tra- tap them over the head with a tire iron. If he takes a vacation, I worry he can't afford it. If he changes jobs, I worry that he is unstable. If he stays at one job too long, I worry that he's in a rut and he'll never get ahead. If he comes home too often, I worry because he has no friends. If he, com- he never comes home, I, just, I, I worry that he's going to put his parents on an ice floe and have the world probated. If he eats too much, I worry about his cholesterol. If he looks too thin, I worry that he has an eating disorder. The other night, my husband said to me, she says, do you realize all three kids are employed and their cars are running? What do you think the odds are of that happening? You have nothing to worry about. And she says back to him, and I love this, fool, how long can that last? (laughs) We worry about our family. But the fourth reason why we worry and what I want to talk about today and really spend the most time with is that we worry when our faith fails. In fact, worry runs wild in our life like a lion chasing a gazelle when our faith fails. Crumbling at the very foundation of our life, our faith just begins to crumble, looking around, seeing all these things that we don't have control over. And when that happens, it captivates us. And so over the next several minutes, what I want to do, and I want to spend my time with you doing, is looking, diving into Luke 12 and answering the question, how do we rebuild a faith that has failed? Jesus, he's going to give us three different things. And so if you're taking notes, you can just write these down as we walk through this incredible truth together. The first one is this, that we can have faith in God's care. Faith in God's care. Look at it with me in verse 24. Jesus says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? His care is so incredibly rich. 
And he's there in the culture. He's a great communicator. And so he just uses an example. He just points to a bird. And they would have known about the birds because the Jewish area where they lived, that, that Israel of terrain, they had tons of migratory birds. See, the Mediterranean Sea had a, like, hosted one of the mi- biggest migratory patterns in that part of the world. And he just points to a bird. Maybe there's one maybe standing cl- close by. He points to a raven. Today, you know, he would have said maybe like, you know, look, think about the birds, folks. Like, they don't have 401ks. They don't wear helmets. They don't have budgets. They don't have daytime planners. And the crazy thing about a bird, we, a lot of us know this, like a bird eats two to three times its, its weight, which, like, that's a lot of cheeseburgers, all right? It's a lot. And what's amazing about that is just how much God cares for us. And you've never seen this, right? Where a bird is sitting there on a limb and it's just like crying, going, I don't know where my next meal is going to come. We've never seen that happen. God provides. And Jesus says, hey, followers, you think that I love them. I love you even more. And he would go to the cross for them. He says, I care for you more than you'll ever imagine. And let me just tell you something. When I worry, it's when I have forgotten the depth and power and strength and beauty of the care of Jesus for my life. Don't ever, you ever, ever forget it. So Jesus, he points to the ravens, and then in verse 25, he continues. He says, If which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Like, we want to do that, right? We eat good food and supplements and doctor visits and all these things, and yet we still can't make our life live one more than God has set it all up to be. He says, if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So Jesus then, he gives his followers, you and I, this this one simple word in verse 27. And I want you to see it. It says this, consider. Everybody say that with me. Consider. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And the word that I had you say, consider, it means to think it through, to think about truth. That's literally what it means. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, because what he wanted them to understand is he said, I want you to think on what's true and not untrue. And I don't know about you, but I think about what is untrue so often. What if this happens? Or what if this happens? Or what if that happens? What am I going to do here? What am I going to do here? What's plan A, B, C, D, E, etc.? So instead of worrying about all these different things, Jesus says, consider. Put your mind on worship. Put your mind on sharing your faith. Put your mind on serving. Because I care for you. And I'll provide for you. He's saying these things to them. That's why Romans chapter 12 says it like this. Do not conform to the pattern of this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the idea of setting your your mind on things that are true. That's God's care. Because not only does he want to care for you physically, emotionally, but he also wants to care for you spiritually. That's why God sent his, his son for you upon the cross to tend to your spiritual needs, the greatest because of your sin and my sin. 
so that it would be eliminated if we had put our faith and trust and followed Jesus Christ. He did all that. That's why the Gospel of John 3, verse 17, had in mind, he said, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So maybe today you just you, you struggle to, to remember that God cares for you. Maybe whenever you see a cross, and we see them all over in our culture, maybe it's on somebody else's, you know, their shoulder, or it's on a building, or it's in a, some type of art form, or wherever it is, it will remind you of God's care for you because Napoleon invented it, and the Romans perfected it, and Jesus died upon it, and he cares for you. We rebuild our crumbling faith in God's care for us. But then secondly, I want you to also know that we rebuild our faith in God's plan. God's plan. Look at it with me as Jesus says in verse 29, he continues, and he says, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Those are two big ones for us. Nor be worried, he said, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So faith in God's care, but also faith in God's plan. Jesus is saying to us and to his followers there 2,000 years ago, he says, your father, he is the ruler and provider. He is on the throne. I have a plan. His kingdom is being built. You don't have to worry, and you can focus on those things. He said, just seek the kingdom. Seek building those things before and, and, and after anything else. And as you begin to build your faith in his plan, this will just make you a different neighbor. It'll make you a different coworker. It'll make you a different friend. Here's why. Because you will go through things just like everybody else will, things that make you want to worry. But as we're all walking through these things together and no one is without encountering these things, you might be able to live your life a little differently. They're freaking out and you're not. Why? Because you know and trust in God's plan. And when you're not freaking out, they're going to be like, well, why do you not freak out? And you're going to be like, well, let me tell you, because I believe in God's care and God's plan for my life. And when you do that, that is when you are living the gospel out 24-7. And really, that's the mission of this church, right? To draw life from God and then point others to him. And so in so many ways, this is all about what Jesus had come to do. And so for you in this, in, this, in this place here today, maybe you're in a position where you're like, I, I struggle to remember God's plan. I get it. But what does that look like? How do I do that practically in my life? Well, let me just give you, give you an example. So I grew up um, in Newark, Ohio, actually east side of Newark, Ohio, in Licking County. So actually just in the hills. And um, I, we would three-wheel and four-wheel all the time. And I love the outdoors and I love hunting. And, and um, you know, Four-wheelers have gotten a lot more advanced over the years. Now they're incredible. They have windshields and windshield wipers and so, I mean all kinds of stuff now, side-by-sides. And I have a friend who has this huge farm in Indiana, and I try to go back there and hunt there and uh, really enjoy it. And he said, hey, you want to go uh, mudding with me? I'm like, yeah, let's go. So we get in a side-by-side, and we're out in these beautiful hills, and we're going up and down. And we're having a blast with a bunch of other guys. And so I'm just, you know, white-knuckling it the whole time next to him. And he's like, all right, hold on. And we just go, like, sailing off of this hill. We completely clear the ground. 
And then we kind of enter into this creek bed, and we hit this creek bed, and the front literally hits the ground, and mud just, boom, right up against the windshield. And, I, and he's smiling, and I'm like, ah! <laughs> and, and then he hits his button, and it's this solvent button. And all of a sudden, this, like, solvent drops down the middle of the windshield, and then the windshield wipers clear it off. I'm like, ah, good, I'm good now, I'm good. And that's exactly what happens in our life. We're like white knuckling our life, and we go sailing over the hill. We go sailing into COVID. We go sailing into this, sailing into that. We don't know what's at the bottom, and we hit, and we can't see. And we're like, ah, right? And then we need to just hit the solvent of our life. We have to hit God's Word, go back to it, what it tells us about His plan, and we can see it again. Because worry is going to hit the windshield all the time. It's never going to stop. But we can see God's plan through His Word over and over and over again. For instance, friends, like when I, when I am not kind to my wife, when I'm not kind to, to, my, to my daughters, when I sin, when brokenness I displayed in my life, and I doubt God's love for me, i got to go back to the solvent of God's Word for my life. Romans 8 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I'm worried about feeling like I don't have what it takes, when I was called into full-time ministry, I had flunked speech class and I had a speech impediment and a major issue in front of people. And I, I said, God, you've made a mistake here. God's truth is solvent for my life. Second Corinthians said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. Or when I'm worried about my kids, right? If Philippians tells me, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Or maybe when I'm worried about the news and the media, or I'm worried about Ukraine and Russia and China and the stock market and everything else that's all around me, I go back to the solvent of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Solvent of God, our life. God's Word. And when you do this, when you go back to God's message for you, His plan is revealed. And when His plan is revealed, worry and the door to it begins to shut at an even greater rate. So my encouragement would be to enter into this, this, this reading plan that is going to start tomorrow at LifePoint. They're going to talk a little bit more about it in just a little bit. But reading through the Gospel of Luke, just so you know, it takes about two and a half hours to read the entire thing, front to back. That's not what they're asking you to do, okay? But the Gospel of Luke, I would encourage you to dive into it like you've never read it before. To learn from it, because it is the solvent of our life. And, you know, I had somebody one time tell me not too long ago, they said, hey, Ray, I'm so excited. I just read through the Bible for the sixth time in my life, and he was a very task-oriented person. And so I just kind of leaned back into his life, and I said, yeah, but how many times has the Bible been through you? And he said, that's a good point. So may it go through us. 
Faith in God's care, faith in God's plan, but there's one last thing. Faith in God's goodness. This is what rebuilds our faith maybe more than anything because he is so good. We just sang this song. Through my life you've been faithful. I will sing all the days because of God's goodness. I want you to look at Jesus as he says in verse 33. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags and do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God's goodness is such that he would literally give his greatest possession. And when we begin to understand that, we then loosen up on the stuff that is in our life. Is Jesus saying that stuff is bad? No. The disciples had stuff. I got stuff. You got stuff. I hope your stuff is really, really cool. I hope your stuff is a 4K, 85-inch TV screen, all right? Like, I have no problem with stuff. But when your stuff owns you, that's when Jesus is like, hey, you're maybe worrying a bit too much. It's really hard for generosity and a worried heart to coexist. And look, Dean didn't ask me to talk about this, okay? But what I'm saying is, is that when you begin to trust your heavenly Father and His goodness, you can begin to be generous and give back to God. And when you give back to God, friend, it is one of the greatest things. Instead of a cul-de-sac, you'll be a conduit of God's incredible grace in other people's life. And so maybe a next step for you would be, you know what, I'm going I'm going to literally take a step in generosity. I'm going to give back to God, maybe for the first time. If it's $10, I'm going to start giving back to God 10 bucks. Or if it's, if it's like, I'm going to go from this point in my life to this point in my life, whatever it is that God wants to do, you to do. Maybe you talk to one of the, the leaders here at LifePoint about this, but regardless, maybe that would be a next step for you because God gave his son to you, and so his goodness prompts our generosity. So worry runs wild when faith fails. So let's rest in God's care for us. Let's rebuild our faith in his plan for us. And let's just know that he is good to us. And I believe with all my heart, when we begin to do this, we can shut the door of worry in our life. And it doesn't have to be a label. And it doesn't have to just completely restrict us in so many different ways. Because here's what I know. We only have one life to live on this earth, right? And let's live it without letting worry just completely run us over. There was a little boy who came up to me one time, and he just kind of tugs on my shirt, and he says, hey. I said, hey, what's up? He goes, how old are you? I just love, like, the just truthfulness and honesty of kids. I'm like, well, I'm 42. How old are you? He goes, eight and two-thirds. <laughs> I thought I stopped doing that a long time ago, you know, doing the whole two-thirds thing. You know, and some of you, you don't count in two-thirds. You actually, your age stopped a long time ago. Like, for instance, my, my kids know that their mom stopped counting at age 39. It's just been holding right there, and that's maybe for you too. But I do know this, that we, we look towards the future. In fact, there was a, a young lady, true story, she was all about looking towards the future, always worried about what was in front of her and how she would, she didn't want to miss out, and she always looked towards what was ahead, and so what she did is she said, you know, when I get married and I have three kids, that's when I won't be worried anymore and I'll have peace. 
So she finally gets married. She finally has three kids. And she's in the middle of the three kids and dirty diapers and budgets and, and, and exhausting nights. And she goes, okay, this isn't what I thought. All right, so when I get all of these, um, these little kiddos into school, that is when I'll finally have what I really want. So she gets to that point. The kids are all in school. And right then her husband's like, hey, you know what? Like this is going to be really expensive to try to help them to go to college. So what if you, I know you work inside of the home. Can you work outside of the home, dual income family? And that way we can pay for some of their college. So she goes to work. She doesn't like it, but she goes to work outside of the home. And she, she got, does this job she doesn't like. And for all their college, she works and helps pay for their college. And finally, they get out of college. She's like, all right, I'm done. I'm finally going to enjoy life. I'm finally not going to have to worry. And she goes into her boss's office. And she says, I'm, this is my resignation letter. I'll be done in two weeks. And he says, why would you resign now? She goes, what? He goes, if you just work 10 more years, 10 more years, you'll have a pension and you, you'll miss out on all this income and you guys better retire this much more and you better be able to do this and that. And she goes, well, okay. So for 10 years, she's got this calendar and she, you know, marks the days off. She's like, man, when this day comes, then I'm not going to have any worry and I'm not going to have any stress. And she gets all the way done and she walks in and she resigns and she walks in and she says, I'm done. And they move to Florida because the central Ohio has a lot of great weather, right? And they move to Florida and they build a house and they sit there on the beach and they sit on their front porch and they leaf through the pages of their memories, the good old days. Let's not spend all of our lives worrying about one day when today is the day that God has given us. Wherever you are, I pray that you will remember God's care for you, his plan for you, and his goodness in your life. And because of the cross, one day we'll experience heaven for those of us who trust Jesus. Would you bow your head with me? And in this moment, if you would be so bold, I'm, I just want to lead you in a very simple prayer of trust to God, to just talk to Him. And in this moment now, if you would even be so bold to just repeat after me out loud, you don't have to. But maybe as a, a declaration, a statement to God today, just to tell Him this and remind yourself in the moment. Would you just pray this to God, even out loud right now? Would you just say, Heavenly Father, thank you that you care for me. Thank you that you have a plan for me. And thank you for your goodness in my life. I'm sorry that I've let the worries of my life overwhelm me, distract me, and deviate my life. And so now in this moment, I ask that you would give me the trust to trust you. In your name we pray, Jesus. And everybody said,